So apologies to all of our listeners that our last uh, episode, uh, episode five, uh, was uh, meant to be a one-parter, but apparently uh, it's going to be a two-parter. So this is part two, and I'm so sorry. And just to remind everybody that uh, we were in trial, we're sitting there waiting for the trial to start when we had an automatic stop. Uh, and I really, I'm sorry about that and make sure that never happens again. We're new to this and we're just getting the hang of it. Murder, we're not so new at, but you know, anyway, <laughs> we're in trial. And as I said, they've got separate, Dana Yule has got an attorney, two attorneys. Radisvich has an attorney. They're in the same trial for the same murder, but Dale's attorneys wants to, Dana's attorneys want Dana to walk. Radisvich's attorney is saying, you're the shooter. They know that. They can prove that. So we're going to just try to keep you alive. And that was the different tack that they took. So the jury would get to hear about Dana's character, his lifelong lying, his worship of money, his wanton greed. I want to say greed for money, but that's not deep enough. He wanted to be his father so much that he appropriated his father's identity. Dana was famous for things that were actually the accomplishments of his father. The prosecution was about to point out that within the Santa Clara College community, Dana Ewell was the successful businessman he desired to be as he had created a false persona and was accorded the status of that persona by the community in which he then lived. And that persona would end with graduation unless Ewell obtained a whole lot of money very quickly, either by legitimate or illegitimate means. The prosecutor asserted that what mattered was not so much Yule's desire to have his father's business, but his unbridled desire to be rich and beyond that, to be accorded the status and power that came with being rich. He reiterated that killing one's parents is an incredibly unusual act, and he argued that in order to prove it, he needed to establish an unusually strong and unique motive. What a great prosecutor. He pointed to Yule's unbridled love of money and being perceived as perfect and his desire to succeed financially as his motive. Meanwhile, Radisvich had no means of income, but he somehow had money to buy books on making silencers, guns, and killing. Now, where do you think he got that money? He had inside knowledge of the Yule's home and what their schedule would be on Easter Sunday. He knew how to enter the home. He knew of ammunition that he could use once he was there. Apparently, there had been suitable ammunition in the bedside table of his parents, and he had used that ammunition during the course of the killing. And after the killing, he moved into Dana Yule's home, and Dana tried to sign Radisvich up onto his health insurance, like they're married or something. What the? Okay, that's weird. 
classified. Weird. Not the part where you can marry whoever you want to marry and they will they're be married. That's health fine. insurance. If he's your yeah. domestic partner, great. But he's just your murder for hire dude for now, for all we know. <laughs> like, that's weird. After the killing, Dana collected $317,888 from life insurance, $119,000 from Tiffany's assets. Dana went to the bank and got many thousands of dollars in hundreds and a few fifties. And over the months following the murder, Radisvich spent a total of $43,000 to take helicopter lessons and get his flying certification. And he always paid in hundreds and fifties cash. Hmm. He took expensive trips. He bought everything with hundred dollar bills or $50 bills. And in the summer of 1991, before the murder, he obtained an AK-47 from Jack Ponce. He, through his brother, got this gun, but it was his money that he got from Dana. If there was a star of the show, it was Jack Ponce. Remember, he had been given immunity. And he testified to a detailed conspiracy to annihilate Dana Yule's family and leave only one heir. Ponce delivered the following chilling description. He said Radisvich related to him that he had shot three people with the AT-9 and that it had been done to split $8 million in part of an inheritance. Ponce already knew it was the Yule family, although Radisvich did not tell him the name at that time. Of course, it was all over the news. How could he not know? Radisvich admitted to Ponce that he had killed the Yules. He laid in wait to do it. He expected to get half of the $8 million payout. He asked Ponce to help him dispose of the weapon. And on the way home from Disposing of the weapon where Ponce was the driver and Radisvich was driving next to him and they threw it into a, a, a river or the ocean or somewhere and it was never discovered. But on the way home from that trip, Radisvich had stated to Ponce, if there's a God, I'm fucked. On December 16th, 1997, both Dale Ewell and Joel Radisvich were convicted of three counts of first-degree premeditated murder. When the verdicts were read, it is said that Sousa began to weep. He wept, and he wept. Five long years of trying to catch these killers. Five long years of thinking about Tiffany Ewell who never got to live her life after grad school. But now would these two killers be sent to death row? Joel's team put on a mitigation testimony and said that Joel Radisvich had always known that he was not normal. His symptoms were detachment from relationships, restricted range of emotional expression, enjoyment of solitary activities, little sexual interest, indifference to praise or criticism, all of which pointed to a schizoid personality disorder. Caroline, these are the worst mental illnesses that one could ever have. 
agree. The well, prosecuting. Can I just say that I think that if Dana had not been as disgustingly, you know, self-centered and no emotion and having this grotesque mask all the time, if he wasn't so like that, maybe we wouldn't have caught them. I mean, I could see why Susu would weep. I would want to weep after this long, you know, in their minds, they kind of know what happened, but now they have to go about getting evidence and proving it. Had Dana not behaved the way he did, maybe they never would have. Oh, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. The prosecuting asked if this disorder kept Joel from knowing right from wrong, though, and the answer was no. So in other words, you can be mentally ill, but know right from wrong. Yeah. And if that is true, then legally you are not insane. Right. So Dana, you'll put nothing forward to mitigate his case for life over death. I mean, of course, because he was so innocent, right? Mm. Uh, Dana still really thinks he's innocent, Caroline. Yeah. Um, because he is a cold-blooded killer who could do no wrong. So, in other words, you know, he can't admit an error. He had yeah. an error one time in college and somebody caught him. And he'll never be, it, they'll never find a crack in him ever again. So. Yeah. The jurors couldn't come to an agreement about life or death, so the judge sentenced Dana, Yule, and Joel Radisvich each to three consecutive terms of life in prison for the murders of Dale, Glee, and Tiffany Yule, with the aggravating circumstances of murdery, murdery, murder for monetary gain and lying in wait. Dale Ewing is serving a life sentence without his life sentences in prison without parole at California State Prison, Cochrane. He is in protective custody due to his notoriety. Joel Radisvich is serving life in prison without parole at Mule Creek Prison in Ione, California. And... Um, even though this ends our story of the Yule family, this family annihilation brought about by Dana Yule and a sick, and I kind of mean that in a compassionate way, sort of, not really, but yeah, named Joel Radisvich. I will always remember the quiet dignity of Dale, Glee, and Tiffany Yule. I also want to say that... Um, Dana Yule does uh, want pen pals. He uh, does write back. I've read about this. I don't know about this personally because I'm not going to write to him. But when you write to him, you're writing through a pen pal service, so you're not giving your return address to him. Mm -hmm. um, Joel Radisvich, on the other hand, no. He's just doing him. his time. You well. Know? And I want to know is I, I'm curious if he's in protective custody because I don't I doubt it I didn't read that he I was there's an inequity conversation in here I'm sure but yes. because they're both murdered people I don't think we need to spend time on it but I mean them's the breaks and you're right I think I have in the compassion bank more for Joel than for Dana because Joel you can see elements of a soul there whereas Dana doesn't seem to have one of those so well and Joel was obviously manipulated 
Right. He's a vulnerable population if for no other reason than he was a drug addict at that time or he was highly depressed. Or I don't know what he was, but he was susceptible money. to this. You're right. Money. Yeah. He wanted to be. He. I think he had this mental illness. Yeah. He had an attachment disorder, so to speak. I'm not diagnosing, but he was diagnosed with schizoid right. personality disorder. So he had a serious mental illness and he was not going to do well in this world. And he uh, needed money, wanted money, and uh, a personality, a life, a community. Right. He wanted all of those things. Yeah. And um, Dana gave him all of those things. Yeah. And he was uh, able to pull off a an execution of mm -hmm. three people, three innocent people in their home because of Dana. And wow. that's how I look at it. I agree. And I think these are highly performing decent, wonderful human beings that were removed. Like we had discussed at the top of this uh, case, Tiffany, 25, working on her master's, quiet as can be, shy. I can't imagine what this world was deprived of when it was deprived of Tiffany. She was just starting out. Who knows? With her parents' entrepreneurial background and drive and their mm -hmm. support and their safety that they gave her. Who knows what she could have provided to this world? So I just feel like and of course, you know, the mother is is uh, Glee. She's going to be, we lost a huge amount with her because of her participation in the justice system itself and in the community. And she was a high level participant. And there's a lot that was lost when she was lost. And then, you know, Dale put it all together and he, you know, ensured that his family was going to always be able to strive and survive. So he was that you know, gentle it, giant just yeah. shepherding his family toward a beautiful, beautiful life. And right. he was even willing to support his son uh, if his son uh, had ambitions to be a button-down rich man. Fine, I'll help you. Yeah. In fact, you know, I got to say... Looking back at that thing about, you know, don't tell anybody I bought you a new BMW. Maybe he was trying to teach Dana, you know, if you want to cultivate a brand. Right. Um, you Be become particular about what you put out there. About yourself and about what you're up to and, and you know. I'm going to buy you another car because I have the money to do it. But you don't want to be known as somebody who runs around and crashes a car and comes back to Daddy Warbucks and says, buy me another car. Right. You don't want to be that person. Yeah. So don't be that person. It's such a common. I, I probably went to school with at least 10 people who totaled their car that their parents bought them and their parents bought them a brand new car. And it always is the talk of the school. And you do have judgments about it. It's never going to stop. I have judgments about it. Would I ever do it? Probably not because I'm mean, mom. <laughs> I'm a mean mom. I No, that was the only one. Now you got to figure out what you're going to get next and then save up for it. But, you know, it's it's a very, very common thing. But I think that the personality that was Dana, that was hard. Nobody knew that that's what was going on, but that's what's really going on. It's this deep-seated I don't know, moral corruption. I don't know what it is that causes him to be completely soulless and just feel nothing. I want money. I'm great. I want money. Oh, you see me as not great? Well, 
so sorry. I'm great. I give me money. You know, it's weird to me. I have no cracks. I'm going to go down to the Titanic (laughs) and I'll live to tell the tale because I have no cracks. Okay, Caroline, this ends today's case in two parts. Surprise. Today's episode was researched, written, and narrated by Bridget and Caroline, produced by Andy, who's going to have a thing or two to say to us about having split this up. Anyway, our research is solely based on public domain documents, including legal documents, articles, and books. Catch Me If You Can is my favorite about our subject. Episodes are aired every other week. And if you like us, do us a big, big favor. Subscribe. Give us a five-star review. We're on Apple and Spotify. Tell your friends about us in person or by social media. All these actions help new listeners find us. Thank you. We appreciate you so much. And thanks for listening. And in two weeks, we've got another episode coming up. And we're going to go in a completely different direction. (laughs) But it is going to be about family murder. Anyway, bye-bye, Caroline. Bye-bye.